You got to have an interest in learning the business. You have to have an interest in being technical. You have to be passionate about driving change using technology. And you got to go seek it out. How long should I stay with a company? If I stay for three years to four years, am I a lifer? If I stay for two years, am I am shifting too quickly? When I started, you know, you stayed and joined a company and you got pension out of the company. Now, apparently, that's negative. Welcome to the VMware CIO Exchange podcast. I'm Edine Porter de Leon. This conversation was recorded as a part of our Leading Digital Transformation series at VMworld 2018 in Las Vegas. In this episode, we hear from Basque Iyer, CIO of VMware and Dell Technologies, talking with Tarun Inuganti, an executive search firm with 57 offices in 30 different countries. Basque and Inuganti discuss the most desired traits that CEOs are looking for in a chief information officer and how those desired traits have shifted over time as a responsibility of the CIO has evolved. I'm Basque Iyer. I'm the CIO for VMware and the CIO for Dell Technologies as well. This is a leadership series. We're running a few things on how is the IT market? What are people looking for? In, in an IT professional, especially at an executive level. And I'm pleased to introduce my friend, one of the best recruiters in the business, Tarun Inuganti. He's a partner of Spencer Stewart. Tarun is the person we would call to, to, to mainly not only recruit CIOs, but the VPs and, and senior most people in IT. So Tarun, please come join on the stage. And what we're going to do, I'm going to ask a few questions to Tarun, but really it's a lot more interesting if you guys ask. That way it's not a rehearsal. So Tarun, let me just kick it off. Uh, we always see articles that the CIO is dead, the IT is dead, everything is going to the cloud, everything is outsourced. And yet you keep telling me that you're busier now than you've ever been before. How does the market look like? So I've been in uh, executive search about 20 years. Um, the depth of the CIO has been called every year I've been in it, but it's never been a better time to be a leader, an IT leader. Uh, 2018 is by far the busiest time that we've ever had in executive search, particularly in the, in the IT space. There are a couple of factors behind it. Obviously, the pace of change, the disruption, what's happening in technology is just uh, unbelievably quick and so many techn technical issues that have come along that has accelerated. But the flip side of that is it requires a different skill set today than it did um, you know, five years ago, 10 years ago. Um, if you take that 20-year journey, which you've been through, you know, the old first CIO was keeping your phones on and lights on, and the CIO after that was ERP, perhaps, mm -hmm. and then there was the white UK, and then there was uh, e-commerce, and, you know, every few years something new comes along. But if you take the last three years or four years, one important thing is compute power is dramatically shifted. You know, the availability... And that, that really makes technology more actionable, and that's made businesses recognize the power of technology. And as such, the resulting uh, requirement for CIOs or leaders in there is very different today. And so, it's, so it's, it's, it's a very busy time for us. You know, you talk to CEOs, COOs, CFOs, and you said the skill sets are different. So what, are, what is something that they are looking for right now in an in a executive Generally, at the C or VP level, the leadership traits are about the same. The ability to communicate, the ability to tell stories and to evangelize and you know, educate your colleagues as to what the power of whatever your role is. Mm -hmm. In technology, it's particularly unique and different because the CEOs and the boards are a little apprehensive, a little fearful. They don't know 
but they don't know and they're looking for the leader, the technology leader, whatever we call them today, um, to come and drive that agenda. Mm -hmm. So don't, they don't want to be cutting edge mm -hmm. necessarily, but they want to be fast followers. They also recognize that they can't afford to wait like we used to three to five years because you, you know, businesses are being disrupted. Your competitors can, small, nimble, fast-moving competitors can come and take your market share away. So the boards and CEOs are, are looking down and saying, we need somebody a little more technical than used to be in the past. We're not suggesting this is a programmer or a coder, or, but somebody who can appreciate the balance between the hype, the promise, and everything that comes along with that. How do you manage that and, and create a the organization that will support the needs of the business. So it's, you know, technical skills are a little more critical today than they used to be. The business skills are still important. You have to have a business mind on you. The leadership traits, the ability to tell that story, communicate, evangelize, that's, I mean, consistent across all roles, but even more important for the technologists. We could talk about all the other parts of it. Uh, just a poll, random poll. How many of the people here have, are already executives in IT, VPs in IT, or CIOs, or have ambitions of being uh, in executive ranks? Okay, so that's a lot of, almost all of us, right? So that's good. I mean, I think, I think uh, uh, it's good to have the drive and ambition to, to get there. The lesson learned for me personally was uh, uh, it's sometimes easy to get the job. It's very difficult to do, do the job. So... So it's a you know it's a good grounding that you go through learning the technology, learning you know the organizational issues, the business issues, and so on. So one of the things that we noticed that you you started talking about it is at some stage when I started my career there was no such thing as a CIO. You just you ran the cables. You were the Unix administrator. You were this you're the IT geek, IT guy. And they said, well, we don't want people like that in the ranks. We want people who are business facing. Which was true to a certain extent because, you know, we weren't sophisticated enough to have those kind of conversations. But then it became all business folks which have no idea of anything, how technology works. Right. And sometimes it's easier to take a technology guy and a person and train him on, on business than taking a business person and, and tell him how uh, sure. cloud works. So what do you see in the trend? I mean, I know the truth is the balance has to be somewhere in the middle. I mean, any technologist needs to make that move into the leadership roles, you have to understand what the business is, mm -hmm. what, what are the drivers of the business, the political climate, internal political climate, how do you navigate that, the trade-offs, being pragmatic. Those are all skill sets that a good business person has. It doesn't have to be just, just EPS or when the earnings report is coming out or what our competitors are doing. Those are all table stakes, right? I mean, you are, as a leader, driving the business to transform, change, address an agenda, reach a goal. So those are all important critical skill sets. But I agree with you. I think uh, the market went a little too far right to the business side or left, depending <laughs> how you look at it. And, and it, it served the purpose of the time because if you think about ERP and you think about some of the change management aspects that, were, that they were dealing with, they were large-scale program management issues rather than they were technical, technical right? issues, right? Uh, and now that's shifted, you know, whether it's the cloud or, you know, the promise of AI or, you know, wherever you go, you need to know what realistically can happen. So you need to be a little more weighted on the technical side or you need to be able to ask the tough questions 
or be able to be detailed enough so you know somebody very technical can't pull the you know the wool over your eyes. So I think it's a balance. Will it always stay that way? It's a difficult one to predict. But I, I, I'm not. I don't want to discount the ability to be business savvy. Yeah. Because as an executive, you have to be, you know, appreciating the business value. I think you know in Silicon Valley. One of the observations I I looked at is uh, even at executives, like CEO levels. If you look at uh, you know the companies I used to work on the East Coast, you typically had as as somebody who knew finance or sales as a CEO, right, right the top person. Whereas if you if you look at the Silicon Valley, a lot of the folks are really strong technical as well, and they go and get trained on business. Mm-hmm. Pat Gelsinger, you know, would be proud to call himself a geek. I'm sure who's a CEO. You know, you can talk about technology with him as deep as you want, but he also trained himself, as you would probably say, to be a CEO and a business yeah. leader and thought leader. So that seems to have worked in in uh, in Silicon Valley, and and so I'm assuming that some similar model is going to continue where uh, the People are pa- you need passion to have techno- you know to be in technology. If you don't like it, why? This is too difficult a profession to be in. But then you know how do you train yourself to have the business skills to, to make it happen? Uh, yeah, I think you you're absolutely right. Passion, energy, passion. You know those are all important words for any leader. Uh, if you don't have it, you know you got to have an interest in learning the business. You have to have an interest in being technical. You have to be passionate about driving change using technology, and you got to go seek it out. I mean, it's not going to come to you. Um, there's plenty of ways of doing it, but yeah. So you guys should be ready to ask the tough questions. I'm going to start asking you know the real questions you want to ask now, right? So just to whet your appetite. So real question that's on everybody's mind is how long should I stay with a company? If I stay for three years to four years, am I a lifer? If I stay for two years, am I am shifting too quickly? Uh, how do I mean? And it keeps to change, you know. You know, if you when I started, you know, you stayed and joined a company and you got pension out of the company. Now, apparently, that's negative. So, <laughs> how do you guys look at people who stayed in a company for a long time or too short a time? What is that time frame? What's the magic time frame? A few years ago, I think somebody coined the term. Well, actually, CIO stands for his career is over, <laughs> and it's interesting, right? I mean, you you've had CIO ten years, being two to three years for mm-hmm. a long time, and the tenure has gone up. I mean, it's four and a half years now, which is, uh, it talks a little bit about the maturity of the function, the integration into the business. And, and it's a good trend. But from a career management perspective, I would suggest that four years, four and a half years is about the right time. You know, people make shifts in two years, three years, and people make shifts for different reasons. But if you're making shifts for a better opportunity, I don't think you learn enough to have an impact to learn some of the other things I talked about, the organizational dynamics, how to navigate that, how to uh, work through difficult people you work, what did you, how do you leverage that in the learning experience? So it's, it's, I would suggest four to five years. For us, from our position as executive search consultants, um, we spend a lot of time understanding people's motivations for next, the next role. Why do they take the next role? Um, and if we see too many two-year stints, we want to know you know, does the story really add up? What did that really do? What was, was there a different motivation? Um, is there something structurally wrong with this individual executive? If there's one or occasionally, you know, things happen and people move, we, we totally get it. But from our clients, they want to see impact. The only way you can measure impact is if you've been there long enough and you've delivered enough. And long enough is four plus years. Now, 
the other thing is if you stay too long, if you stay seven, eight, ten years in one organization, then the question that's also asked, are they able to navigate different cultures? Right. Yeah, and which is an important leadership trait, right? You gotta move, you know, it could be different cultures within the same business if it's a big enough business, but. Yeah, it's, that's good to know because I, I never knew that answer and that keeps shifting also. I mean, when, when you're early in your career, 18 months is forgivable, right. but you know, when you get straight later in your career, that becomes a little bit tricky. And then the other one is what skills are hot right now? I mean, you were telling me that data is very hot right now. It's things like chief data officer is very hot. What is, are people actually looking for AI, ML? Are they, you know, what skills are, are folks are actually looking for? So traditional uh, IT organizations in the last many years have been traditionally apps, infrastructure, perhaps security kept in there. Mm -hmm. And that organization has shifted quite dramatically, I think, in the last three to four years. Obviously, data yeah, is becoming big. It's, you know, data was always there, but you know, compute power changed the paradigm. You can actually figure it out, work it out, drive business value, outcomes. You know, it's, it's an amazing piece where you can actually impact the business. So the, the data role has become more integral to the organization. Engineering, as we call it, the trend was always historically outsourcing. Let's get everything we can to some labor arbitrage place and get it done. And, and that was fine for a while. But now, with the market shifting and the speed to market, the agility, the, the, the interest in the business and doing things quickly and delivering that and mm -hmm. doing it in your control has brought engineering talent back in-house. So yeah. you see a big trend in, uh, you know, not just outsourcing is not going away, but you'll bring trend, bring technology back in-house. So there's a big engineering team being built here built internally. Um, obviously, the, four, the third one is uh, security for all the obvious reasons we know. It'll yeah. always be important. It'll always be critical. Uh, where it sits in the organization is a debatable issue today, uh, risk or in the IT organization and the legal place. The fourth, which is still very critical, is IT. I mean, the fundamental basic IT is still, I mean, all this has got to work, right, for yeah. us to show up and do anything fun with it. What that's created the advent of cloud and, you know, all the AWS and all these places. It's freed up money to where you can deliver more with less into the engineering and IT organization. So that's created more roles, which is great. I mean, the engineering, bringing engineering back in-house has actually made, you laugh about this when I say it, IT sexy again, because you can attract a lot of people and make it interesting for, you know, new comers to come in and say, yeah, IT is not a bad place. They're actually doing some interesting things that we can show results pretty quickly. Data is another spot that's becoming very big, and it's, if, if I would suggest it's, a, it's the hottest commodity in the market today. It's very difficult to find. People have done it. People have done different transformation. Now, AI, machine learning, cloud, they're all important. The degree at which the maturity of the organization, can you leverage partners right now to address those issues? It depends on the maturity of the organization. We're not seeing a huge demand for AI leader mm. or a machine learning leader. A few years ago, it was a big thing about cloud. Um, mm. that's, that's become core to the business. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, uh, if you heard this, uh, apparently IT is sexy. Uh, uh, the, only way <laughs> Again, reason, uh, <laughs> the only reason I, I and I put the sexy back in IT. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so, anyway... Um, Let's going on to uh, more, con again, more things that people want to ask. 
you know, I happen to know you through a business uh, initially meeting, and then we became neighbors and friends and so on. It was just happenstance. We, uh, but how do you have? How do you? How do you get on your radar? I mean, you, 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 you have, and you have an opening. Uh, you cast the net wide, but you know, I mean, you don't just do a Google search. You kind of know <laughs> what the market is, who the people are. There's a lot of people not on that radar. So how do how do you? You obviously can get to know everybody. How do you get on your radar? Well, I think uh, there's several ways, approaches to it. Clearly, our approach to search is, you know, clients will come to us and say, we need X, Y, Z person, and we kind of talk them through what are the segments that you're interested in, markets, is it industry, is it experience level, what are, what are the things they may have done, all these. We get all of that into a funnel, we understand what they want. But a lot, the first calls we make are to people we know, like you or... 20 other people and say, who do you think is good at it? Which organization's done this well? Who should we be talking to? So we do have a very extensive database. Um, we do leverage LinkedIn, as everybody does. Um, we have other tools that we have access to people, but that's just a name on a paper. It doesn't really tell you about how they did what they did, how that will impact. So we need to get to the bottom of it. And those conversations we have with you and others will get, get us to it. The second layer after that is events like this. You know, if you're mm. on uh, an engagement or you're speaking and, you know, you're picked up uh, and people want to know what they've done, and we, had, we look to track all that information. So getting on the radar, I think if you're doing a fantastic job at who, whatever you're doing, it's our job to find you. Yeah. Um, but also developing good mentors, networking. And, you know, I've said this earlier, only... T- 20% of all the executive searches out there come to the search firms, whether it's us or our competitors. 80% of all roles are built through your network. For all of you, the ability to extend that network, whether it's through events like this or local events and pricking mentors, that is and almost always should be your first line. You know, If we have a need as an executive search person, we will find you. But building your network, extending it, don't get, um, don't get bogged down into just doing your job at hand. Your network is priceless, and you have access and leverage, and you've got you to use it effectively. So that, that's, uh, that's a good lesson for me as well. I've spent a lot of time in J&J, Glaxo, Honeywell. Sometimes working on multiple companies gives you a big network. But a large company sometimes, I knew everybody in Honeywell, but I hardly knew anybody outside of Honeywell, yeah. right? So... So then coming into the valley, you seem to know everybody in the valley. You know, you know that, that uh, Bay Area, that's one of the, the nice thing about the valleys and networking is very tight. But also people, anybody who's looking for technology comes to the Bay Area. And, you know, you'll be surprised as to, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you folks already know there's, we have, we have a, you know, like a record unemployment. Uh, and he just said we are trying to bring, we are bringing a lot of engineering talent and IT in, in, inside this country. There is such a limited talent of those people available, and it's just getting, you know, it's getting worse, or good, <laughs> depending on how you look at it. It's good for us who are in this profession because, uh, you know, there's not too many qualified, and, and because a lot of companies have outsourced offshore, people have not kept their skills sure. up to date, you know, and, and so it's a great opportunity and timing, uh, is, is perfect. Um, but one of the things that, that is an obligation that we have to do, I mean, as, I mean, as I'm getting to be an older, I feel like there's more obligation is um, mentoring is actually very good. 
and mentoring doesn't have to be one-way street. You know, I've, I've started mentoring a lot of younger people because everybody's younger than me these days. So I'm mentoring a lot of, um, you know, young women and uh, younger folks in, in, in the Bay Area, and I find that I learn a lot more from that. Mm -hmm. And surprisingly, it seems to be a reverse mentoring where, uh, you know, I feel act almost guilty talking to them because I seem to pick up a lot more because the trends do change and the, the way people look at jobs and careers are, are quite different uh, as you go. So I, I think that's a good lesson learned. And, and you know, at a, at, in any given week, there's five, six, seven executive positions that people are searching and calling you about. Right. It's just crazy as hell. And, and now that you multiply that by every three or four years, that's the... Jobs are also being rotated. Um, I had a conversation with one of your colleagues the other day saying, I thought I just recommended somebody for this job. <laughs> oh, that was three years ago, and the person has yep. moved on. I said, wow. So this, the market is extremely, um, ex looks extremely hot. Would you agree that the market is? is yeah, 2018 hot? was, um, I think, North America, we grow something like 42%. EMEA is up. It came up a little base, but it's a 40% growth. Wow. Uh, Asia is up 112 percent or something. Uh, it, it's very, it's very active, and it's not just for us; it's for the market in general. Um, and it's caused by, by the way, it's, the market is hot because the economy is strong and it's the demand. But the market is also hot because technology has shifted so dramatically, and the, there are new roles and challenges and skill sets being required. And thirdly, uh, to your point earlier, this whole outsourcing. Piece, uh, did not develop enough good talent to move up. So it's creating a demand. So good people are, you know, being yeah. <laughs> recruited out every few years, and it's sometimes difficult for them to say no. Yeah. Uh, one more thing is, when is a good time to look? We are so busy working. The good ones especially don't have their resumes up to date. So when you ask and say, do you have a resume? No. <laughs> so what would be some advice for you on what is a so you start looking when, when you really, your boss, you're, you're in trouble or you're, you're not getting along with your boss or you had it, and that'd be a little too late. So when is a good time and how do you, how do you start looking? When do you know it's, it's time for looking, et cetera? Career management should be key to your existence. Most people come or call on me when they're beginning to look for a job. That's almost too late. Um, because then you're going to make a mistake, you're desperate, you're, you, you're making poor choices along the way because you need a job. Uh, this, this may sound like kindergartenish, but I repeat it because it's often happens so often. And then they call and they say, well, okay, send me your resume. Well, I haven't put one together. So it's, take six, every six months, put a half hour on your calendar, update your resume. It's not about updating your resume because you're looking for a job. It's updating your resume because you want to stay current on what you've actually accomplished. It's like a six-month check-in with what you've done without a review, without your boss telling how badly or well you did. It's your check-in. Make the time. Put that six months on your calendar. Get some help if you need to with, with mentors or others. Secondly, build your network. You should be consistently building that network. I mean, it's important. Do it. I mean, every... You know, you should set yourself goals like every six months, every three months, you're attending one of these events or you're attending a local networking group or uh, you're finding a new mentor. Seek them out. The things that happen as a result of networking, mentoring, is that you are learning about the world outside of your bubble. You know, you're learning about what others are doing. Oh, that would be fun for me to introduce into my own business. 
oh, wow, they're doing it much faster. That'll be a fun place for me to go do it at. I think that's career management. To directly answer your question is you should never start looking for a job. You, know, you put a three-year goal, I'm going to start looking for a job. A New Year's resolution, I'm going to start looking for a job. That should not be, that's not career management. That is, you know, other things that are driving you. So take the time for yourself because that, what we find more often than not is when people start, you know, they've hit the four-year mark or they've they got a new boss or the, it's not working out and they start looking for a job. I'm not suggesting this never happens and it will happen to everyone. But if you're prepared ahead of time, then you're thinking about yourself and you're thinking about career management. What are the skills you want to add to your experience set, resumes that will take you to whatever your goals are? So it, it's not going to work for me. I always work out a week before my reunion, college reunion, <laughs> or uh, you know, or before a big wedding, and I'm hoping for miracles to happen. I want to get a six-pack, and well, I still want to eat and drink, <laughs> and I want to exercise for one week and get a six-pack. Yeah. It hasn't worked so far, but I haven't given up on hope. Um, so uh, um, tell a little bit about VPs wanting to be CIOs. You know, so a lot of people come back. It's, you know, a lot of people come back, I want to be a CIO. And, and I may be giving the wrong advice. I'm, I'm kind of old-fashioned. This is where I say, well, you got, to, you got to learn about, you have to learn the skill first. You have to learn this. Be prepared so when you get the job, you're totally ready for it. I know you're anxious to grow. But, you know, younger folks especially want to be a CIO in one year or two years or 30 days as soon as they graduate. So what would you tell for executives who want to be a CIO for C-level kind of a job? What, what, is, what is the difference between a VP and a, and a C-level kind of a position? The, the single differentiator between either a strategist or a technologist is the ability to deliver, execute, and communicate. What will separate a VP, a director, whatever the titles are, the number twos and the threes into a CIO, is their ability to com- communicate their vision and ability to deliver to the business. So to the extent you can develop those skills, that's more critical. You have to deliver, obviously, uh, but you also have to communicate about what you've done, what you can deliver, what your vision is, and then be pragmatic enough in a, in a manageable way that you can sell it to the rest of the executive team. It's okay to be on the team having a huge impact and not be desirous of being a CIO. CIOs come sometimes to me and say, I want to be a CEO or CEO. He said, are you really sure you want that? Um, you know, the, the, the baggage, the issues, the communication, the, you know, it's literally you have a target on your back and someone's going to shoot you at some point. I mean, you have to recognize that that's part of the trade-off. Yeah. And do you want that? You can be a fairly impactful member of the team and deliver value in so many ways without being a CIO. And that's, and that's okay. I think, I think it takes a little maturity. So especially people who are ambitious, like most people are, when you're, when you're starting out, you know, you want to be an uh, individual contributor, you want to be a project leader, you want to be a manager, a senior manager, a director, senior director, whatever. And then there is a pyramid, unfortunately. You know, going up and up and up, it, it is a little bit more difficult, but... I found that lateral skills kind of helps, right? Yeah. So it's going, doing something broader, either in the same company or another company. Because some people, I, you know, I do it out of boredom. But honestly, <laughs> right. I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a millennial. <laughs> what can I tell you? I, I can't do anything for too long. 
So I get bored, but you know, when you get bored, you know, you want to get on new technology or you want to do a new assignment or I've taken stretch assignments or something like that just to keep the boredom. And the, I mean, you can see boredom or curiosity or willingness to learn how, let's put a positive spin. Let's say it's willingness to learn rather than boredom. Uh, and, and that kind of helps. And it looks like a lot of people look for that kind of uh, yeah. skill set as well. Passion and then followed by curiosity. Yeah. But again, Bass made the point, you know, picking up stretch assignments, you know, going, seeking it out proactively, going to a business leader that you've interacted with well and saying, can I, I, I think you have a problem here or an opportunity. I can help with that. It's not in my purview, but let me, let me see if we can work something out. Yeah, whether it's in your, in your full job or it's in your part-time. Being recognized within the business will give you some of those opportunities that you're seeking. Uh, stretch assignments, pushing yourself out of your comfort zone, those are the places where people stand out. You know, people take on big projects and say, I've never done one of those before, but, you know, I think I got the fundamental skills of how to organize and deliver and communicate the value on it. Seek them out. I mean, proactively, you know, so passion, curiosity, and proactively getting ahead are all, you know, commonly used words, but become more important as you become senior leaders. One, one advice I would take you is, you know, um, think of it as a plug for doing good. There's so many not-for-profit not boards looking for good leadership, right? They want your checks, too, which is good. I'll write as many checks as you can. There are so many good causes. Uh, people who came to see the, uh, the uh, Malala keynote that we had, it's like melts your heart. There's so much good you can do with technology. And we are in a privileged position. You saw how, how hot the market is and you know, how much of us, you know, a lot of people without that education and things to do that. So a, a good plug to say, I find it very inspirational to kind of participate in some of the non-for-not-for-profit advisories. And you can do two or three things. You can write a check, but more, you know, then you can, you know, they sometimes you can go paint a wall or soup kitchen. All of them are good, but they are looking for technique. They want digitization, right? They struggle on how to handle uh, donor databases. They handle, they don't know how a Zoom video conference works or how do I train people from the remote things. And what most companies do is they, they just dump all their old equipment that they don't want to use to those, right? Here's the stack of Cisco, whatever switches from 10 years ago. Go set up yourself a Wi-Fi network. And, and you're sending it to some, uh, some folks who are trying to do it on part-time. Or, you know, all my used Dell laptops or Apple laptops that I wiped the hard drive, taken the memory out, there's no software, go make it, set it up. Even you and I can't set those things up. You know, so they are looking for help, direction, guidance, leadership, architecture help. That gets noticed by, because you'd be surprised as to how many people are doing not-for-profit work and they, they get you into advisory boards and other com companies or, yeah. but even if not, just it's a good thing. So let's just, let me just lie and say it's good for you. <laughs> you know, just do it. I have a, a great colleague who's, um, not a colleague, sorry, uh, another great CIO who at a company and I said, so what do you look for in people? And he said, I want to hear the story from somebody who's almost hit rock bottom, who's almost broke. How do they make it through? Broke doesn't mean financially. They failed miserably and that they came out. I mean, that's one of my favorite questions to ask is, scrappy. give me a story of where life was falling apart. Your job sucked. You failed. You made a mistake. How did you recover from it? What did you learn from it? You know, where did you have a bad boss? You know, and what did you learn from that boss? Not that he's a bad boss. We all know he's bad or she's bad. What did you learn from that? I mean, those experiences form who you are. And that's where leadership traits, I mean, you look, read all these books and autobiographies, every single one of them 
from Lincoln to everybody else have failed, you know, through their careers multiple times and come out of it more resilient. They have curiosity, they have passion, they have that interest in doing something different and not giving up. Leaders have to have integrity, they have to have the ability to keep doing it. And that's the skill sets. I mean, we're looking for leaders, we're not looking for anything else right now, right? I mean, that's, at this level, we're only looking for leaders. So. Thank you for your time, Sarun. Of course. Fabulous. Lot of luck. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the CIO Exchange podcast. For more conversations with technology leaders from around the world, consider subscribing to this podcast. And to get video perspectives and deep research, visit vmware.com slash CIO.